Sarah, I'm sitting here. I watched you count into the show just now. And when we when you put up your hand to do the three, two, one count in, uh, you have a giant Band-Aid on yeah. your <laughs> middle finger. I should say not a Band-Aid, a Band-Aid. Sure. Um, it's, it's actually a paper towel. Uh, so everybody feels sorry for me because I have a little boo-boo, um, but I'm going to milk it. Like, let's, let's kick off the podcast talking about what happened here. So like what, what happened during school today? We had experiment time. And and just for, just for context, in case we have new listeners, you're homeschooling your niece and nephew. My, my two nieces. Yeah. Two nieces. And my niece who's in fourth grade had an experiment, which was about sediments so we went down to the stream with a big mason jar and filled it up with rocks and everything. And of course, when I got back to the house, I broke the mason jar with all the rocks in the sink, thankfully. Um, but I managed to cut myself. And then it was another half hour of me trying to get the all the rocks and sediment out of the sink and... Yeah, so they have a garbage disposal, which thankfully still works, but I was really nervous. I would have been fired for sure if I broke their garbage <laughs> disposal. I'm hoping it, yeah. We'll see. You we'll st- see. Worst You still don't ever. know how many how many glass pieces went oh, down the... No. Well, it's, it's, more, it's more the rocks that I'm concerned about, because I don't think those go down the oh. sink very easily. Um, right. But yeah, the, the girls were entertained. They were entertained. Oh, also, somehow an egg got broken in the middle of it. Why there was an egg <laughs> there, I don't know. It was chaos. It was definitely chaos. But uh, yeah, so this that's why I have a boo-boo. Amazing. Actually, it reminds me of, of the other day. we Rosie and I bought at the dollar store this thing. It's like a snitch, you know, like from Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Of yeah. course. So <laughs> obviously, we bought a snitch, a flying ball. <laughs> because and it works on like a propeller a double propeller system and underneath it it has like infrared so when you put your hand under it it actually kind of go, moves up like you don't have to touch it it like and so you can like kind of bounce this thing around and you can play a game of quidditch <laughs> minus the brooms of flying but nonetheless okay but the thing is it's on propeller so you can't play outside you have to oh. play inside or else the thing literally will fly away oh yeah and so we're playing this the other day and (laughs) the the snitch like took out a wine glass like a super thin like crystal one like right off the table (laughs) like onto the floor and shattered just like you know the kind of glass break where you just know you have to wear like shoes and slippers in the house for the next month just in case like no matter how much i cleaned it up or like Wait, i know i missed some little into carpet no oh no it's God. like oh. no yeah so thankfully yeah not carpet <laughs> but like there was there was such tiny tiny pieces yeah. of this yeah. of this glass um so anyway it just made me think of that because i was like it was just this moment of like oh quidditch gone wrong <laughs> so i'm i'm that person who would definitely step on the glass shard like three months later and right. yeah so be careful be careful if you're anything yeah, like that. We, we already had one. We already had one injury from it. Rosie cut her foot. Oh, <laughs> so. poor thing. Well, that this is what happens when you play Quidditch in the house, Sarah. <laughs> no, Quidditch no, less, is an outdoor sport. Learn. That's right. <laughs> As any Harry Potter fan will tell you, you don't yeah. play Quidditch in the house. <laughs> they don't do it there. in the hallways of Hogwarts. Come on. <laughs> 
<laughs> fair point. Fair point. Okay, and before we go to our break, I wanted to give our listeners a TikTok update. I know. Are yes. you? Are, are you like? Are you're just like all week. You were thinking. I wonder I, how Sarah's viral TikTok on is going. I am literally on the edge going. of my seat right now. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> if if you don't care and our listeners don't care, then no one does. <laughs> Probably no one does. But anyway, <laughs> so my TikTok now has seventy one thousand views. That's incredible. Crazy, and I'm up to like one hundred and twelve followers. So well, was it eighty something last week? Yeah, it like went up since this since this started. I know I started with forty eight followers before I went viral. <laughs> now I have one hundred and twelve, so the conversion rates um pretty slow going, but but still, you are you have your like fifteen seconds of fame on TikTok. I do, and it literally is fifteen seconds. That's how long a TikTok is. So boom. Well, I'm so hip. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> I know. I'm so glad you do that and that you could appreciate this. I'm proud of you, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Okay, coming up on the show, we have the impact of some of the changes made to Zwift, hard lessons that Sarah and I have learned through racing, will Kona be in February, a message from a listener, and did dogs domesticate themselves? Hey, Sarah. What's, yes. what's that in your hand? Oh, I'm um, drinking a nice uh, Cab Sav in this evening's recording. Oh, How about man. you? What are you drinking? I have some noon rest because it's nine o'clock at night. I'm ready to go to bed after this. Well, at least one of us is going to be well rested and hydrated after this recording. We are so grateful to Noon Hydration for their sponsorship of this podcast. And if you want to get 30% off, you can go to noonlife.com and use the code IRONWOMEN, plural women, as our sister podcast. You can use that as a code and you will get 30% off your next order at noonlife.com. I'm Sarah Gross. And I'm Sarah True. And you're listening to If We Were Riding. Sarah, I understand Zwift made some changes. I'm asking you because this is not my cycling's not my thing anymore. Even though we're, even though I want a podcast called If We Were Riding, um, so Zwift made some changes to how they do the results for racing for the the for the Pro Tri Series. Uh, so okay. there there were some ruffled feathers because uh, you know there's some questionable results, and Zwift in- implemented a few changes to make sure that. You know, the, the power was pretty accurate, that there were some weigh-ins after races, and that the, uh, you know, the, the bar was relatively high to qualify for what they now created were A races and B races. So to qualify for the A race, you know, there was a certain standard um, of, of transparency that they, they asked of riders. And it actually made a big difference. So there was almost a uh, one watt per kilo difference in the results. So, uh, wow, that's yeah, so significant. And and some of the people who had been dominating races, you know, the things got shuffled around a little bit. Um, but I think all in all, you know, well done 
we're we're talking week three of this series. Mm-hmm. I'm really pretty impressed by how much of an impact it made, but also how quickly uh, the company was able to pivot to try to make it feel fair, more transparent. I mean, is it perfect? No. Um, but in terms of virtual racing, seeing something with a, a measurable change, you know, that measurable effect, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because, yes, you know, we've had it pointed out in this podcast that there were some questionable results in the past. And mm-hmm. I think if you're now a fan, you can follow these races and feel a little bit more comfortable with the results, that they're actually reflective of in you know uh, far more in the ballpark of what athletes are able to produce right it's interesting to me that there was such a shift um and i wonder like what's your what's your feeling about that i mean my i tend to be kind of optimistic um despite how sometimes i sound on this podcast but i i would think i would assume that some of that was just people not paying attention or not um having because of course you like weight would fluctuate during the day or or depending on different times like different times like were people just like not paying as much attention to accuracy when they're when they're plugging their numbers in uh well i think it's i think it's a few things so probably athletes um you know if they have a scale they were making sure their weights were up to date uh but then it also comes down to the technology itself so there are some uh you know power meters or trainers that are no longer accepted um, oh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a technology thing as well. Um, right. so some of it comes from, from the riders, some of it comes from making sure that people are on equipment that reflects actual power. Um, cause there are some pieces of equipment that are kind of outliers. Um, and they, I, it, they've eliminated some of them. So good to know. Wow. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. yeah. I, if, if anybody knows if, um, you know, the Ironman VR, they've, been doing similar changes i haven't seen anything in my inbox about it but i'd be really interested whether they have made changes to uh have data accurately reflect you know rider power so let Mm -hmm. us know yeah always let us know all right so sarah i did read your blog um that was posted what was like a week and a half ago yeah thank you thanks for reading that it was really good so basically I mean, you can you can summarize it because you wrote it, um, but I would love to just talk about racing and how it's prepared us or not prepared us for this moment as individuals. Yeah, I um, so I wrote on livevicey.com about actually I wrote this before COVID-19 started uh, and then we sort of paused it. Um, and decided to, and then, and then realized, oh, well, this could apply just by adding a, a little bit to it. Um, so I wrote about Ironman New York, which was kind of fun to write about because it was such a flop of a race. So I kind of got to laugh about that. And I, and I knew some people would relate to that, the people who were there. So, um, that was fun for me, but also it was, it was interesting cause I was like, I was pretty good at DNFing or accepting why the DNF was happening because typically I would be, um, I would be overcooked you know, going in and that would be, there would be like a lot of lessons learned. Like, and you've already, you know what it's like, like you're out there by the time, like by the time I'd be deciding to not finish the race, I would be like off. Like everything was already, like it's just lots of time to process basically because you're out doing a really long bike ride and a really long run. So I wasn't, I was pretty good at like getting over shit, you know? Um, but in this particular case, I think what happened was I felt like I had given up. Like, yeah. I felt like I just decided, 
I wasn't going to continue. I wasn't, I had lost my reason from being out there and I was disappointed in myself. And that became a lot harder to process, you know, um, because like my other, sometimes my other reasons for DNFing felt like, uh, I had, you know, I had gone all in and failed. Like I remember one time coming down from altitude at the wrong time and being really, really flat. And I knew like, I still, I finished that race actually. It wasn't a DNF, but I like, I knew why my performance wasn't quite on point and I could feel that in my body, you know? Yeah. So the, the way I, I've learned to kind of compartmentalize is there are times where there are reasons and there are times where there are excuses and like there, I'm, you know, like you, I've definitely had races where there are reasons, you know, medical or otherwise where you DNF, but there have also been times where you have excuses where, where you, you physically could have kept on going, but you just, you check out, you opt out and that's a choice. So I, mm-hmm. I, it sounds like it's definitely, it was in the former or the, the latter category rather than the former, where it was, you didn't have a reason but you had an excuse mm-hmm. like you're right. you're just mentally you could have kept on going you could have finished right yeah. and I think like I could have finished I probably would have finished like eighth or something you know like it would have all been fine and it would have just like gone into the into the pile um in my career but I like yeah I found it hard I found it hard to get over because of the giving up like we just talked about um and I think what I learned through that was that like being hard on myself wasn't doing I I believe this in general like being hard on yourself is it doesn't really have that much value like you need to learn the lessons like what do I need to do next time to not give up Mm. if that similar moment when that similar moment presents itself but after that after the lessons boom like you there's nothing else when there's nothing else to learn you need to move forward and some people I think wallow a little and certainly in this case that I was talking about I was definitely wallowing um, and so that was a new experience for me and learning to pull myself out of the wallowing was, um, was, yeah, was what I learned in that moment. And so I think I was relating that then to the COVID-19 situation where, you know, we've seen quite a few people, um, maybe just wallowing more than they should have, um, which I could definitely relate to from that. But, um, Sarah, do you have things that, you know, you've learned, like kind of felt you learned the hard way from racing? I. Well, less, less the hard way and, you know, just, just thinking of a a race that's relevant to this moment. Um, I think it's really comes down to what can you control and what you can't. And Mm -hmm. it's just accepting, you know, that's half of this right now is just kind of accepting that things are kind of crappy right now and they're crappy for a lot of people, but you you can't really do much about it. All you can do is focus on what you can control and trying to maximize that. So like last year was just, I mean, we can get into that for, that's a whole nother podcast. Um, (laughs) But it it was physically just a very hard year for me, mentally, emotionally, (laughs) like that was a kind of the byproduct of my body just totally shutting down multiple times. And like last opportunity for me to qualify for Kona, my previous two Ironman races, I'd blacked out. I show up to Montremblant. It's the last day for me to be able to qualify. And from the first stroke of the swim, I'm like, oh, jeepers creepers. This is going to be like a struggle fest of a day. And mm-hmm. for our listeners who do Ironman, 
I mean, it's one thing if you feel like you're going to struggle for a sprint or Olympic, but when you know you have to cover the Ironman distance and the first few strokes, you're like, I have nothing today. That is, that was, that was bigger than I ever thought I could overcome. Uh, And I'm like, okay, it's going to turn around. It's going to turn around. And I kept on believing that things were going to turn around. I get on the bike. I'm like, all right, my power's like 20 watts lower than it should be. My heart rate's skyrocketing. I'm just going to do what I can. And like, and maybe it's going to turn around. Like at some point, this race is going to like, I'm going to feel like myself. And at mm-hmm. a certain point, like I get a flat and like I get onto the run. I'm like, okay, so there's a terrible bike. I got through the swim. Things are going to turn around the run. Like this is where I really am going to shine because I've been running well. I've been feeling good. So like, literally at this point, you've had no, you've had no good feeling. No, no. And things just keep on getting, like the swim ended up being the highlight of my day. Um, and that was, it was a very flat, like I do, I'm not enjoying this kind of swim. And it just went downhill from there. But when you go out on a marathon, you're like, okay, I, I swear I'm going to feel good. This is going to be all right. I'm not going to black out again. Like I am going to get through this race. It took everything I had I kept on waiting for things to turn around and it they didn't like they kept on getting worse Mm. but I had no choice but just keep on putting like one foot in front of the other and just accepting like this is just how it is right now this is an unbelievably hard experience but I I think that I can get through this and I'm just gonna see how far I can get and I made it to the finish line it was a brutal day, by no means my best Ironman, but probably the one I'm I, the most proud of just because it was so insanely hard because my body just did not want to do any race of any distance mm-hmm. that day. Um, and I, I just, like, I think about that now because all, all I can do is just keep on hoping that things are going to turn around at some point and we don't know when it's going to be. And it's kind of shitty right now. And it's like, all I can control is me. All I can control is how I react. And part of that is just being optimistic that, you know, at some point we don't know what it's going to be, just embracing that uncertainty and expecting that it's going to feel normal again. Yeah. Yeah. Something I've really been thinking lately that I really like embraced when I retired or that felt really good was that. When you're a pro athlete and you have days like that, right? You have to, like, that's, that's your job, right? It's yeah. your job to go out. It's, you're effectively hurting yourself all day. It's, it's kind of painful for nine plus hours. Um, and there's some, there's training days like that too, where you know how sometimes intervals feel just amazing. Even ones that are kind of like the pain of the lactic acid is kind of there. It still feels good. Um, but then there's other days that are just like, it's just hard. Um, and it just like, it's like, it's almost like stabbing yourself with a knife. <laughs> like it's, it's bad. Um, and, and I'm just relating to that, to your Montreal Blonde in that way. And, and when I retired, I thought some days I just think when things get hard, normal day to day things get hard. Like I'm frustrated with my kid or I really want my social life back or things like that. <laughs> I think this is going to sound funny now that I'm framing it like this, but like, at least I don't have to physically hurt myself today. <laughs> um, like where, you know what I mean? Like, at least I'm not going to have that 
that day. Like it's not going to be Iron Man day. That's so, so hard. Um, and that like you can find little bits of joy. Like, so even if it's, if there's overall something that's really hard to get through, um, there's ways to find little pieces of like joy to keep you going. Um, did you, did you find that like during that day? Like what, what actually kept you? Okay. Here's my question for you. What kept you going on that day in Mont Tremblant? Uh, honestly, it was, I, there were so many people out in the course, other participants and like, I, it sounds so cheesy, but I, I kept on going because of them. Um, and that's something that I, I love about this non-draft stuff because I didn't have that as an ITU athlete, an Olympic athlete. Like you're just out there with other people trying to race for the win, but there's something that's so heartwarming about the collective where, where people, Mm -hmm. some of the other, you know, amateur, some of the amateur participants had followed my season and they were, they were sad for me. Like they, they knew how hard it was. Mm -hmm. And there was an emotional investment in seeing me finish in Montreblanc and not black out and, you know, get my ticket to Kona and just, it felt like people were cheering for a friend. Like, Like I was their friend and that was something that I don't know that that's really special about our sport. Um, yeah. Like I'm so, I'm so cheesy. Like I'm, getting a little choked up right now like but it's Mm -hmm. it's true I mean it's I there are days where it's about the performance it's about you know your profession it's about like making money and qualifying for Kona and this was it was more than that it was finishing like doing honor to the distance to the other people there to all these people who just wanted to see me finish like after a really, really difficult year. And that was, yeah, and that then, was really meaningful. Yeah, for sure. And then I think, do you think it makes it more meaningful that you did actually qualify? Like did that, how good did that feel? And did you feel that sense of group celebration too with, you know, how you're saying people were following your journey and they were, um, but you can also s- share the celebration with them too, in a way. You know, at that point it was just kind of relief. Um, it was less about qualifying because I knew that in order to qualify, I probably fried my body to the point where like there was a good chance that I wouldn't be able to, you know, my, I wouldn't be able to bounce back for October. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's exactly what happens. Like my, my nervous system was totally fried. Um, so it was less about the qualification and more just proving to myself and to everybody who had been cheering me on that I could do it. And that was, that was really meaningful. And I think, you know, when, when we're looking at this time right now, um, we're all going through this together and it's really hard. And there's, if there's an upside to all of this COVID-19 just tragedies that there really is that that spirit of community, that spirit of the collective that really has been inspiring. Yeah, I agree. I think people have really have learned to communicate and appreciate each other more. Um, 
I also feel that sense of like, you know how um, uh, when we're grateful, when we feel grateful for the things in our lives, it, it tends to go better. <laughs> um, and I think it's like it's instilled this sense of gratitude in a lot of people. And that makes us appreciate each, each other, too. Yeah. Like now, like, you know, now I feel grateful that I can go run in the trails um, where perhaps we took it for granted before. Um, little things like that make a big difference. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, big topic. I know. <laughs> we, we also heard this week from a listener um, who was responding to our conversation last week about what makes a world championship a world championship. So I just wanted to revisit this a little bit um, Here's what she, here's one of the things that she wrote. It was quite a long email. Um, the thing that keeps coming up in my mind is why not? As in, why not have um, an amateur world championship in a variety of distances? Um, why is it so preposterous to suggest that non-pro athletes compete to see who is the best? I am one of those athletes who compete in what um, Sarah. I think we both. I think we both said this at some point. Flippantly called. Uh, that's not a real thing. Um, the, in the aqua bike so I think th- that was kind of one of the jokes that we made along the way um, I'm not sure which one of us actually yeah, not, said that, not to specifically like target aqua bike but more just to make a point in general right right so yeah I think that was maybe um, one of the first things yeah I wanted to say was that like I didn't um, yeah I don't like I didn't want to mean to take away from anyone's performance um, in terms of an individual race and maybe how they how they performed, how they, how someone might feel about their performance and how they stacked up against their peers, um, how they felt about that. Um, all of those things are legitimate. Like when you race and you um, perform and you feel good about it, like those things are worth celebrating. Uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, the, these, these are achievements and yeah. we should always celebrate meaningful achievements in people's lives. Um, you know, I think the, I think if we step back though, the the real question that Sarah and I were trying to get to is, you know, what makes a world championship a world championship? And that's that's a more global question than, you know, pinpointing any single thing that we call world championship and, you know, putting scrutinizing it. So it's 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 a really big idea that we're trying to tackle. You know, what does a world championship mean? And we can compare with other sports. Um, you know, we can talk more generally. It's it's a hard one. It's a hard, and we're going to have a lot of differing opinions on this. I think what makes triathlon really unique um, is that we do have so many world championships, and we have world championships uh, broken down by age group. Um, you know. For better or for worse, that's that's part of our sport, and so I think you know, Sarah. I I don't know what um, what you think about like am I am I right in assuming that what we were trying to get to was a big bigger more global story about for sure what like it in the entails well what a world championship is. So instead of coming at it from the point of view of like there was no, no attack on Aquabike, <laughs> but but like in a macro sense, if we forget about triathlon altogether almost, if you're going to take a sport and go what is the world championship of that sport and what's the point of it, right? And I think like one of the first things that I would say is that you're celebrating the greatest performances of the best athletes um in that 
in that whatever it is <laughs> in the disciplines in that in that sport however whatever that sport is like and that's like first and foremost a thing that would that to me makes a world championship it's something that um it's something that has a what would you call it it's a very elevated status like i'm gonna put a world championship high on a podium um itself like i want to see the best of the best um so i think then um that can be and that's why what we, i think we were being critical of a little bit is that like if you add world this world champion this world championship that you know 12 world championships in the same thing um you water that down a little bit um and if it, an outside observer can't see what the world actual world championship is in a sport it's that's probably a, a problem um the other side of that I would say is like building up a world championship so there's no reason like we started this because the PTO announced a middle distance world championship right um, at a similar distance uh, Ironman has their 70.3 world championship there's no reason those things can't be legitimate things because they are a distance in and of themselves with people who are you know uniquely able to win that or like specialize in that um but how long it takes to get first of all there should only be one of them <laughs> one of them needs to be the world championship yeah. and how long it takes to build that up right, right like so right. how long does it take to build um you know to get enough athletes who are competitive at that specific distance to actually feel like you have a competitive world championship so like i i do have a little bit of what would you call it i do have a, a bit of a um sense that like if you're trying to build something okay like in the same way I the same way I like like build it and they will come um about other things in our sport uh I have to say like okay I'll allow for a little bit of that but we we definitely have too many (laughs) yeah so I would I would come at it from a different angle and so a, a few weeks ago we got a voicemail from our ninja voicemailer and mm-hmm. basically he was talking about hey you know the sport is also for people like me it's also for the people who are at the back of the pack just looking to finish the, the day and i think that perspective really resonated with me because i think we spend way way too much ten- attention put too much focus on the amateur champions in their age groups, the Kona qualifiers, you know, the people who aspire to the highest level of their age group. When, if you're looking at pure numbers, the vast majority of people in the sport are just looking to celebrate their own day, their own accomplishment, getting around the course and feel included. So when we put so much focus on qualifying for worlds and being the best of your age group, it really does take away from what I think is the spirit of amateur triathlon. And that's just celebration of the individual, you know, and it's, it's not that I want to take away from the individuals who, you know, qualify for uh, their age group, you know, for Kona and they smash it out of the park and they beat everybody in their age group. Like, it's not taking away from them, but it is trying to say, all right, what is this sport actually about? It's about, it should be about inclusivity. It should be about mm-hmm. celebrating everybody in the sport, whether you're fast, whether you're slow. Like, and I think by spending so much time and attention on the, you know, the, the pointy end of 
amateur sport, we really forget what it's all about. We forget about what's actually important in the sport. Like if, if I only, you know, I'm, this is my job. And if I only valued myself for the, the races I won, I wouldn't see my career as a total failure. But because I have been able to celebrate the journey, like the process that I have gone through as an athlete and as a person through the sport, I am able to, you know, celebrate my achievements. Like if, if we only value the people who are winning stuff, that's not sport. That's an, I'm sorry. Like that's, that's great for naming an Olympic champion, world champion, but that's one person. Mm-hmm. The, the sport has to be for everybody. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's no, just me. I, yeah, I agree with you that by, so I think like just to extend what you're saying there a little bit, um, but that by creating all these layers of world championships on world championships, um, you're actually still focusing on an elite amateurism where maybe, um, and, and that's maybe okay as part of the puzzle, but that we, um, we just spend too much time on that in triathlon. There's, there's kind of that, um, it's disproportionate still... to the actual participation. Right. That's a good word. Disproportionate. There's, there's still a bit of, um, um, I would say a macho culture in triathlon about like being a triathlete's a thing. Like it's often used as the, it's like a joke in sitcoms. Like she's dating a triathlete, you know, it's a thing. Um, and, and I think that sometimes a lot of the people who are attracted to triathlon, they want that thing or they want to be perceived as, as like being macho or somehow like that physical, having that physical ability, um, which it, that's fine. Uh, but I, it, it, it actually is something like a triathlon is something that uh, almost anyone can do and can finish and can accomplish, um, and can improve at as, as well. Um, so yeah, you're right. Well, it's, it's, it's balancing, it's balancing celebration of the individual within the community. So Mm. not putting the individual above the community. Mm -hmm. Um, but just recognizing we are one of many. And I think that's the problem I have with a lot of this emphasis on, you know, these different world championships is that it skews that. Mm-hmm. We lose perspective that we're part of a, something much bigger than ourselves. I don't yeah. know. Feel free to disagree. I mean, that that's what I love about having a podcast and having listeners is if you guys disagree with us, that's totally fine. Yeah. Like, we would love to hear your opinions, to hear your experience. Like, we, we can be wrong. We're okay with that. Yeah, I'm actually – I also actually um, – I consider myself like pretty flexible in my opinion. Like if some, I love it when someone can convince me of something that because convince me of something that I don't either, I don't know already, or I didn't have enough information or can change my mind about something in a way that's, um, that's convincing and true and evidence-based. I, I love that. Not <laughs> right? me. I want nothing more I'm a that. stubborn, hard headed, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Like I, I try to approach things like a scientist, like I'm very much like evidence-based, you know, I, I try to keep an open mind as well. I'm not perfect. Yeah. I, we joke a lot of the time on this podcast, um, you know, it's pretending like we have extremely strong opinions about things, but it, some of it's for comedic effect guys, you know? Yeah, no, and that's, and that's actually things. true. Yeah. Like actually being able to speak, like I, I have no problem speaking. <laughs> 
speaking freely about things I know nothing about and having someone tell me I'm wrong. I'm totally cool with that situation. Um, so, okay. Speaking of which we, last week we asked, and we're going to do, we're going to ask again this week and we're going to share some next week, um, our listeners to share some stories of celebration and good things that have happened in your lives lately. So send us, um, a little voice memo, uh, on your phone and just email it to me, Sarah with no H at livefeisty.com. And, um, we will share those on the show. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting them. Okay, after the break, we are going to talk about dogs. The dogs are a big theme on our podcast. (laughs) Um, And did they domesticate themselves? We grossly, as in, in a big way, and truly want to thank our sponsor, Noon Hydration, for supporting If We Were Riding. If you love us, or even kind of like us, or maybe dislike our content, you can make sure we grow through our Patreon campaign, at patreon.com forward slash live feisty and also make sure you talk to us on instagram at if we were riding we love talking to people on instagram especially on the stories if you want to send us a voicemail record a voice memo on your phone and send it to sarah at livefeisty.com that's sarah with no h me at livefeisty.com and remember the i comes after the e if you're feisty We also love reviews on iTunes and written messages from you joining the conversation. If We Were Riding is a live feisty media production hosted by Sarah True and me, Sarah Gross. Our editor and producer is Taylor Mahan. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race to the top. I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. Okay, well, welcome back to the podcast. So speaking of mistakes and admitting we are not perfect, we completely forgot a segment that we had announced at the beginning of the show. So Sarah, what'd you, what'd you forget? <laughs> okay, I love Sarah. Yeah, I was, I was about to give I'm you kudos for like I'm co-owning totally. the forgetting. No, I but forgot now I'm like, as well. No. She threw me under the bus. Yeah, (laughs) and I'm (laughs) totally the Iron Man World Championships that normally happens in Kona, Hawaii, in October. Some of you may have heard of it. Um, (laughs) May be postponed because of something else you've probably heard of called COVID nineteen. And this week there was an article um, by friend of the podcast Jordan Blanco um, in on WitsUp.com about what's happening about what's happening with it and there's a rumor that Kona may be postponed until February yeah so we'll we'll link we'll link the article in the show notes uh it's definitely worth reading because she gets to ask Andrew Messick the the tough questions but that that one really jumped out there were a few things that were of interest but the number one thing that jumped out of interest to me was the idea of moving Kona to February, ostensibly giving athletes more time to qualify um, and for COVID to clear up everything. But let's step back for a second. Having two Kona World Championships in the same year, would you be for that? Would you be against it? What are your thoughts, Sarah? Oh, oh I'm all for this. <laughs> like, I, th- I think, okay, I think... I think it will be great to if Kona gets canceled that it in October that it can actually happen. Um, I think that that's a great thing. Um, I also think that 
like sport is a thing where sometimes the unknown is just thrown at you, you know, and you can't necessarily control everything. So um, if athletes have to turn around quickly and make a qualify, like qualify for the next year, um, then it is what it is. I mean, part of me is just, I mean, you can tell me something otherwise, but part of me is just like, well, that's sport. It may be because I'm not a pro anymore and I'm not trying to race and qualify that I feel this way, but um so I'm yeah. I'm trying to imagine a scenario where, uh, say we can race again in October, and they allow a qualification until December. So you have to do an Ironman in you know late fall, early winter, do Kona, then you have to requalify for the other 2021 Kona World Championship, and mm-hmm. then do Kona. So within 12 months, doing four Ironman distance races, mm-hmm. that is untenable as a pro. You, you, yeah, that's as a pro. Yeah, that's untenable. So no, yes, as, as an I'm amateur, that that's, that's untenable. As an amateur also. Yeah, like if, yeah. if you're trying to, going back, like if you're trying to qualify, that's, that's insanity. <laughs> right. So, okay. So with that, I hadn't um, thought through the, that qualifying piece, but I think it depends how they set out the qualifying that makes a big difference there. So if you, um, because they can change, they're in, they're in control. They're a corporation. (laughs) They can do whatever they want. Um, they could change the way the qualifying works so that that doesn't have to be the case. Um, for everybody. I mean, whatever they do, if someone's going to complain about it and it's going to be unfair to some group and not the other group, um, all of these things. Um, but, uh, I think it's possible to make a qualifying system, that would apply that might um be that might allow for folks to only do two to three races in that time has how many people have qualified or that allows people who have qualified like from taking numbers from 2019 yeah I, i don't know off the top of my head um yeah sorry i don't know i think in the midst of a global pandemic that it's okay to have a year where we don't have Kona World Championship. Like, yeah, I would also be okay with it's that. It's something to celebrate in 2021 when we hopefully have a vaccine and things go to normal. Um, I don't know. It just, every single day that passes, it no longer seems acceptable, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, the other thing is, yeah, I don't know. We, also want, we also want Iron Man to stay afloat right yeah um, we want them to yeah. continue to be a thing no that's true that's so, true and i don't know where that line is i have yeah. zero idea where that line is so no that's that that's a, a really good point I, none of this is easy right um i have because there are people who work for iron man i want them to have them you know stay employed i want to see right. the sport be healthy i want there to be races next year but it's yeah we'll see we'll see Again, we are speculating wildly in Jordan's yeah. very informative article. She says Iron Man will probably make an announcement at the end of the month. So stay tuned. Yeah, not too long to wait. And I'm, I, act- I actually am now super curious about what the qualifying system would look like in that case. So they're probably hard at work with their calculators or however they do it. <laughs> 
Okay, so before I don't want to forget this dog point because <laughs> you're supposed to go out on a light note. So here we go. This week, so Sarah, you wrote a vlog about athletes and dogs um, on the noon. Also, who sponsors our podcast on the noonlife.com website. Um, and I feel like we've had a little theme here about celebrating dogs. I bet you're you're grateful for your dog right now. Yeah. You know, I, I only try to spoon with him like once a day. I'm very all it's very reasonable. No, I don't know. I don't know why I love dogs so much. They're just they're just so sweet and goofy and they don't care what's going on in the world and they're just so happy we're around more. And I love that. I it's it's what we need right now. Um It totally is. Yeah. Yeah. I heard this this I I mean you had heard this theory before, so maybe it's common knowledge and and I'm just embarrassed right now, but um that the theory that dogs domesticated themselves like not that we domesticated them but that they self-selected by just kind of thinking in their dog world hey these humans seem to have control over a lot of the food and good shelter and good resources so if we just cuddle up with them uh all will be well for our species so do you do you ascribe to this theory totally they're professional mooches i mean (laughs) It's it's true. Like that's they were hanging out outside the campfires, being like, "If I, you know, blink my eyes and look really sweet, I'm gonna get some scraps." And the sweeter you were, and the you know, the floppier your ears, the more likely you you were to get like a bit of you know mastodon or whatever. So, mm-hmm. kind of genius in some ways to attach themselves to humans. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. I'm a big Seems fan. It's like a good mood. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I So good job, yeah. dogs. Kudos. I mean, I, I basically, like, that's kind of life goals, right? You you figure out a way to do bare minimum of work, and you just get thrown food every once in a while, and you get given shelter. Like, you have people just loving on you all day long. I mean, I think I think we, we need to give them some serious credit here. No, it's not a bad life. I've thought about this with um, when I had my dog, how like nice it would be to be able to be content just like sitting on the sofa. <laughs> like if I can just sit on the sofa beside my person yeah. and just nod off, I'd be perfectly happy. Yeah. That would be such a great life. Or the fact that you get to go out for a walk, like you just can't control your boundless joy, like to go for a <laughs> walk around the block and urinate in some bush. I mean, that level of happiness for the simple things in life is something we all should aspire to. Yeah, I agree. Another week of If We Were Riding Podcast. And all I can say is... Stay puppy like my town, my crown. We know what it takes to be reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We know what it takes to be reaching the top.